Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, No Condemnation. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Romans chapter 8. In verse 1 it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent in His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemn sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh demand the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Praise the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. There's a lot of scripture in there, and we aren't going to be able to cover all of it. But the Lord, I believe, has impressed me to share this. Excuse me, I don't mean to wrap that around your neck. You'll have to forgive me. But I believe that the Lord's impressed me to minister this because we've talked and been sharing, you know, just individually with a lot of different people. And a term that I use a whole bunch, for instance, condemnation, is not really understood very well. And I have spent a lot of time explaining what I mean. So I'd just like to minister about what the Bible's talking about when it talks about that we're free from condemnation, that there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. In the first place, the word condemnation, it means a judgment or a sentence is a literal dictionary definition. And the usage of it is, it's just like when you condemn a building. Say, for instance, if this building was condemned, that means that it was unfit for use or occupancy and it would have to be torn down. It could not be occupied. That's the way it is when you condemn a building. Well, basically, that's, that's kind of an oversimplification, but that's what Satan is out to do upon the believer. It's to pass condemnation upon you or to make you feel unfit for use. And to me, this is Satan's strongest weapon against any Christian. I believe it's the strongest thing he fights every person with is trying to make you feel unworthy or unfit for use. Because once you get saved, and once, especially you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, Satan would be stupid to try and come to you and tell you that God can't do this or God can't do that. We know better. We've seen it. We've experienced it. The Word of God. Anybody that's in the Word of God can tell that God can do all things. All things are possible. And so Satan is smarter than that. And smart, Satan's weapon against us is not really to tell us that God cannot do things. But he's trying to get us to doubt that we can receive it, that we are condemned, that we are unfit for use, unable to receive, unuseful to God. And that's where Satan's warfare is. And this is where most Christians have let down. A lot of Christians will sit there and with their head they'll retain that I believe God is God and I believe God can do what he wants to. But you see, that's not faith. As, as strange as that may seem, that's not faith to believe that God can do something. Let me share it with you from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Look at this scripture. In Hebrews chapter 11, this is the chapter where he talks about all these people who operated in faith. And he just got through talking about Enoch. In verse 5, it says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Amen? And that's what Enoch did. The Bible says the reason he got translated. Now, y'all listen to what's being said. The reason Enoch got translated was because before his translation, he had this testimony that I please God. Can you imagine Enoch walking around all of his contemporaries and them talking, you know, you is, talk wasn't any different back then than it is now. And yet he was walking around and telling people, he said, I please God. Can you imagine how people must have felt and looked at him and the persecution he must have received? The same thing as if you used to go around and say, I please God. Most religious people would jump up, man, you blaspheme, you soiled, undone, good for nothing, snake in the grass. Don't you know that all your righteousness is just filthy rags? Well, that's not true. All of my righteousness was his filthy rags. But I committed myself to Jesus, and Jesus took my filthy rags away, and according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, made me the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's what the Bible says. 
And my physical flesh still isn't perfect, but God doesn't deal with me according to what I am in the flesh. He looks on the spirit. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God deals with us according to what's in our heart, praise God. Amen? And at high time, we begin to deal with one another and with ourselves the way God deals with us. If we're going to be using God's power, which that's what we're using, it's not your own power, if it's God's power, if it's God's ability, then you're going to have to learn to use it the way God wants it to be done. You're going to have to start getting the same attitude about things that God has about things. And God is not looking at you any longer as a filthy rag. You were a filthy rag, but he shed his blood and he atoned for you and he made you clean. And he expects you to act like you've been made clean. And he expects you to go around saying that in Christ Jesus, remember, not in your own ability and self, but in Christ Jesus, I please God. And that's the attitude God wants you to have. That's the reason Enoch got translated. And the next verse is talking about Enoch again. And he says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek it. Now, I didn't say this. This is what God's saying. I'm just agreeing with it. He said those that come to God must. It is not optional. It is not whether you want to or not. Those that come to God must believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And you see, again, a lot of people go as far as to say, well, I believe that God is, or I believe that God is able I believe God can do anything. Well, that's not it. It says that you must not only believe that God can, but you must believe that he rewards you for diligently seeking him. Now, if you say, I believe God can, I believe God is able, and yet you don't believe God answers your prayer and rewards you for diligently seeking him, then it doesn't work. That's not faith. Can you see that? The drunkard out on the street would sit there and say, yeah, I believe God can do whatever he wants to, but the difference is he can't appropriate it for himself. He will not believe that God will do it for himself. The reason for it is is because all of us are under condemnation. Our own conscience condemns us. The Bible says that a man knoweth the, uh, the own, his own bitterness of his heart. It says in Romans chapter 2 that I thought, meanwhile, accuse or else excuse us. It says in Romans, the first chapter, that God has revealed himself from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of man who hold the truth of God in unrighteousness. So we have an inherent ability within us that we know right from wrong. Amen? That's what those scriptures say in Romans chapter 1. And you know right from wrong. Now, you might dull yourself to it. You might compare yourself with other people and get away from the truth of it and salve it over but yet you know your own bitterness. When you run into a problem, when somebody stands up and starts facing death in the face, man, all that comes right back to you. All of your excuses and everything that you've used to justify yourself flees, and you see yourself in a situation that's when people get ready for help. But we know our own bitterness, and we all operate in condemnation or unfit. We do not feel bold enough to approach under the presence of God. Even a lost person's like that. And that's the reason is they can believe that God is, but they cannot believe God's going to reward them. Not because God's not able to do it, but because they are not a partaker. They aren't able to partake of what God's got for them. But as we come into Christ Jesus, this is what it's saying over here in Romans chapter 8, that for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And upon us, it is passed away. God is not condemning us. We are not unfit for use anymore. And we've got to start operating in this part of it that God is rewarding us for diligently seeking him. Amen? And that's faith. And that's the reason some people are receiving their answers to prayer and others aren't. Both may be desiring it just as strong as the other one, but desire isn't faith. Desire is not faith. Let me say that again because... A lot of people have begged and pleaded and groaned and cried and asked God for something, and then when they don't get it, what's wrong? I don't know why God didn't give it to me. You've got to understand that just desiring something is not faith. There's lots of people that desire salvation that will be in hell because they did not do it according to God's system. The rich young ruler in Mark the 10th chapter is an example. He wanted eternal life, and he was willing to do a lot for it. He kept the laws. He, he was religious. He bridled himself. He was willing to do everything except give up all of his possessions. He desired the right thing, but he didn't obtain to it. Desire is not faith. 
Everybody see that? Praise God. And we've got to get out of the point where we just sit there and throw our desire out. We've got to start learning what faith is. Hebrews 11:6, the scripture we just read, is a definition of faith. Believing that God is, and then believing Him to reward you when you diligently seek Him. The scripture goes along with this is Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Mark 11:24, where it says, "Whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them." It says that you shall have those things that you believe you receive when you pray. Everybody see that? In other words, you've got to believe that when you pray, God starts rewarding you for seeking Him. If you just throw a prayer out and ask God, but you don't know and you do not believe that God answered your prayer, then you won't receive it. You're only going to receive the things that you believe you received when you prayed at that moment. So we've got to bring ourselves to an attitude where when we ask for something, we base it first of all on the Word of God. Know that it is God's will. And 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 says, This is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, we know that He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, then whatsoever we ask, we know we have the petitions that we've desired of Him. Praise God. The kids are really entering in today, aren't they? <laughs> Praise Jesus. But it says we have a confidence that we know if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, and if we know that He hears us, then we know that whatsoever things we ask, we have the petitions we've desired on it. So first of all, base what you're asking and believing for on the Word of God. If there's a promise in the Word of God that promises you health, deliverance, prosperity, joy, victory, power, overcoming any of those things, base your prayer on the Word of God and then know that it is God's will and then also say, I believe it works for me right now. If you cannot take that last step and begin to receive it and say, I know it's working for me, it won't work. And the strongest weapon that Satan has against us is just what we're talking about is about condemnation, making you feel unworthy, making you feel undone. And go back to our illustration of spirit, soul, and body. Praise the Lord. That's why I illustrate that we have a spirit, soul, and body. First Thessalonians five twenty three says that we do. And we are not just a physical body. Everybody knows that, that you've got inner feelings and emotions that you may never portray in your body. But we've got more than just our inner emotions and feelings and what most of us call our personality. We've got a spirit on the inside of us that most people have not even been aware that it exists. But it does. And according to the scriptures, this is going to refresh and over a little bit that we've taught, our spirit is the part that gives us life. John 6.63 says, The flesh profiteth nothing. It is the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. So our life comes right here from the Spirit, a part of us that most of us don't even know that's there. And what happened was we had a Spirit that was condemned. It was under the judgment and the sentence of God because of sin. And it deserved to be. Because all of us have sinned to come short of the glory of God. We were under the condemnation of God. To illustrate this, let me share the scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, he's talking about the difference between the Old Testament law and the New Testament. And he calls the Old Testament law, he says, If the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. And, he, and if you'll read the whole thing in context, he's talking about the law versus the, the things that we're under right now. And it showed that God's law that was given in the Old Testament was to condemnation. It was to declare you unfit for use. It was to show you that you were unworthy and that you were no good and that you were separated from God. The purpose of it was so that you couldn't smooth your conscience over and just start going out and living in sin. Everywhere you turned, God's wrath was right there showing you that you were undone, that you were unrighteous. And it hemmed you in. Galatians chapter 3 says that we were shut up under the faith that should afterwards be revealed. 
If I started this direction, the law of God condemned me, and I knew that, man, I couldn't make it. I was wrong. Everywhere I turned, there was nothing good in me, none righteous, no, not one. And it made me simply throw myself in faith upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the purpose of the Old Testament law, and the Bible calls it administration of condemnation. Right? But, praise God, when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ, it goes on to say in Galatians chapter 3 that we are no longer under the law. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. But once we come to Christ, we are no longer under the law. God is no longer condemning. God is no longer judging that sin in our body. Bless the Lord. The reason for it is, is because Jesus took that judgment. Now, people take what I'm saying and they get all huffed up and say, Man, are you saying that sin, you know, sin's got to be judged. Sin's got to be judged. I had that hammered in me since I was a little tiny kid. Well, sure, sin's got to be judged. All I'm saying is that Jesus bore the judgment for the believer. Amen? Amen. And sin has been judged. And I'm not going to be put in double jeopardy. Amen? Did you know double jeopardy is you cannot try a person twice for the same offense? If he's declared innocent or if he's declared guilty, you cannot give a retrial. Now, he could appeal it or something like that, but the court cannot give a retrial, right? Isn't that right? That's what you call double jeopardy. Well, Jesus suffered my punishment in sin. Romans chapter 6 says that I died with Jesus. I'm a partaker with him of his death. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 says, Know ye not that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. I died. I've already, in effect, suffered punishment for my sin through Jesus. Jesus took it in his body for me. And I do not have to suffer judgment or condemnation any longer for the sins and things in my body. God wiped it away. Amen. Can you all see that? And so if we continue to try and operate in the old pattern that we operated under, it's not going to work. We're going to be trying to operate under condemnation when God says that there is no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. God has redeemed us from condemnation and His judgment will not come upon us. Praise God. Now, you can still experience condemnation, but if you do, it simply comes because you get out of walking in the Spirit. Like I said, our body out here isn't completely changed yet. It's our spirit that's changed. And our spirit is in right standing with God. Ephesians 4.24 says, Put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Praise the Lord. My spirit is righteous and truly holy. It is not stained by sin. It is complete. It is renewed. It is the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is not stained by sin. It is not under the condemnation and the wrath of God. But if I do not operate according to the dictates of what the Spirit says, if I go by what the flesh says, even though God is not the one condemning me, Satan will heap back upon me all of those feelings of condemnation, all of the results of sin that I experienced before I got saved. Anybody understand what I'm saying through that? It's important that you live a holy life, but it's important also that you recognize, for instance, look over further in the eighth, Romans 8th chapter at this scripture. I believe it's verse 33. In verse 33 it says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. And he's asking this same question. Who is he that's going to condemn us? It can't be God. It can't be Jesus because Jesus died for our justification. And he's now seated at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for us. That's not a ministry of condemnation, is it? But Jesus is on our side. Jesus is on our side. Praise God. And he is not condemning. If you're experiencing condemnation, if you're feeling woe and undone and, oh, God can't use me, look how I blew it. Well, you may be feeling condemnation and you may deserve it, but it's Satan. It's the author of it. God doesn't have that attitude towards you. All you've got to do is turn your back on that sin and say, Satan, I'm not allowing you to condemn me, and I'm removing myself from you, according to Romans 6, 16, so that you can't have dominion over me. And then you're, you're still, see, in the same relationship of righteousness with God. I remember when I was in Vietnam. Boy, I used to have to listen to these guys play the radio 24 hours a day. And I didn't like it. I hated those songs worse than anything because it was so much ungodliness. But they came out with this song during that time about a uh, bridge over troubled waters. 
And that song, I could change that over and apply it to the Lord real easy. And since that time, I've heard Christians sing it as a Christian song. Because Jesus is my bridge over troubled waters. So I used to sing that song when I'd hear it come on. Man, it was like it was a Christian song. I'd begin to sit there and rejoice and praise God, you know, and sing that song to myself and really get into it. And when I got back over in the States, I was singing that one day, and there's part of it, I forgot exactly how it goes, but part of it goes, I'm on your side. And when I was singing that, I stopped right in the middle, and I said, well, I'll have to change that, you know. <laughs> That's how condemned I was. I was thinking, yeah, Jesus is my bridge over con- uh, troubled waters, but to think that God's actually on my side. No, I'm on his side. He's not on my side. And I was going to have to change that. And boy, I got to sitting down and thinking about it, and the Lord showed me specific scriptures out of Romans, cha- I mean Hebrews chapter 10, where it says that he's on our side. And man, it dawned on me, and I got to thinking that he is on my side. And I, I don't know what that ministers to you, but it set me free. I began to realize that, bless the Lord, he is not condemning me. He is not holding back. I had known all my life that God could do miracles for me that God could do these things. I'd been preaching it and teaching it to other people, but the difference was I was falling down believing that I could partake of it, believing that I was somehow or another short, which is true. I'm still short if you're going to judge by the physical. But what you've got to realize is that you can't go by what you are in your physical because your physical is not complete yet. If God dealt with us today according to our own works and how good you were, and if you've told the mark, and if you've lived up to everything, and if your hair is the right length, and if your skirt's the right length, and if you wear makeup or don't wear makeup, amen, if God dealt with us according to those standards, none of us would make it. Somebody say, well, yeah, 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 but he's a little lenient. He's not, you know, completely strict. You've got to do your part. Well, no, if he's going to give an inch, he'll give all of the way, amen. It's either all mercy or it's all works, one of the two. Jesus does not deal with us according to our actions out here. He deals with us according to our spiritual man, and he is not heaping condemnation upon you. Every person in here today, I don't care who you are or how you feel, you are capable today of receiving every promise in the Word of God. God wants to give it to you, and He will not withhold it from you. Somebody say, well, if that's so, how come I'm not receiving this or I'm not receiving that? If I'm capable, and let me verify that before I go any further. In Colossians chapter 1, let me show you this scripture. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. This is a command. It says, Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath translated us out of the kingdom, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And it goes on. We have, past tense, it says past tense, God hath made us meet, are able, are sufficient to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in life. The problem here today is not that any of us are separated from God. It's not that God is holding back. It's not that God's saying, I'm not going to use you. You haven't measured up to my standard or you haven't done that. God is not administering any condemnation to any person in here today. The simple thing is that we are submitting ourselves to condemnation. And Romans chapter 6, verse 16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Y'all see that? Boy, y'all ought to get that scripture in your heart before I leave here. I quoted that, I think, every time we've ever been together. Praise God. But it's just real simply that right here in our spirit, God loves us and God is ministering nothing except edification, saying, Bobby, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. All things are possible to him that believes. There is no condemnation in our spirit. But Satan, see, he hits us. This is the only way Satan can tempt us is out here in our physical body and with our minds. He hits us with thoughts. He hits you with problems that make it look like God's mad at you. And most people roll over and acknowledge and say, well, I wonder why God killed that person. Then I heard a guy one time at a full gospel businessman's meeting stand up 
and talk about that he had buried his nephew, I think it was. That day, he had been killed in a car accident. It mauled him, killed him, and, and another person, I think, injured a bunch of people, and he stood up and he says, I don't know why it was God's time. I don't know why God took him. Well, fully, God didn't take him, amen. God doesn't go around smiting people with car accidents and stuff like that. It's the devil that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Somebody say, well, if God didn't take him, why did God allow it? Well, God gave certain things under our power, amen. If you hold a gun to your head and shoot it, don't you sit there and blame God for taking you. You took yourself. You submitted yourself to the devil, and the devil snuffed your life out. You see, Satan comes at us through our physical things and with circumstances. He hits you with the circumstance, and most of us immediately roll over. Oh, why is God doing this to me? God's not doing it to you. God's not condemning you. God's not the one that's making you sick. He's not the one that's putting the financial problems and the cares, and he's not the one that's making you oppressed. I was brought up under the teaching that, well, the reason you're discouraged and depressed, you've done something wrong. God's withdrawn his fellowship from you. Fill on all that junk. God forbid. Amen. That's a scriptural term for it. God forbid. God is not doing that kind of stuff. What's happening is, if I submit to a sin, I submit myself to the devil, and Satan begins to steal, to kill, and destroy. He begins to steal the love from me. And I may experience depression. I will experience depression if I'm out living in sin. But it's not that God's judging me and that God's cutting off fellowship. It's that I've yielded myself over to the devil and Satan is going to steal, kill, and destroy from me. And boy, it is important that you recognize that because if you don't, if you think that it's God judging you and if you think that it's condemnation coming from God, then your prayers are going to be so hindered you're going to feel like, oh God, how can I ever get back straight? You'll start begging and bowing and scraping and going in instead of coming boldly like the Bible says to do. Man, you don't need to let anything separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Don't allow anything to come in and put you back under the ministry of condemnation. Recognize that if there is something that is defeating you in your life, God's not the author of it. Amen? Also, Satan comes at us with religious religion telling us the same thing, that God is going to punish you. Well, God's already punished Jesus. Amen? And I'm not going to bear that punishment twice. Everybody see that? Praise God. Sin is deadly. Turn from it. But turn from it so that you can withdraw your foot from the snare of the devil, not so that you can be accepted with God. And that is important. Now, the reason I say all of that is because we were using this illustration last night over at Greg's, and it really ministered to me. That if, for instance, you men and women, if you think that, that your mate is mad at you and that they're holding something against you, I for instance, my brother here's got something against his wife, and boy, she hadn't done this, and I'm just going to pout, and they aren't going to get a thing out of me. You know what that causes in a relationship. The other one begins to swell up, and you begin to avoid each other, and you begin to give each other the cold shoulder, right? Y'all ever been through that? You'll begin to separate. You'll begin to go your own way. You will not want to be around that person. Like I use this example of a time that I owed a lady some money, some rent money. And I knew I was supposed to pay her, and I wanted to pay her, but I just didn't have it. And I already told her that I didn't have it, and she was she was being nice to me. But I was under terrible condemnation, is what it was. I felt sorry and undone and no good because I didn't have that money that I was supposed to pay. And when it finally dawned on me, I was walking down the street in Seagaville, Texas, and to make things worse, this lady was the vice president of the bank. And I was walking down the street, and I saw her coming, and boy, when I saw her, I ducked into a store, and I didn't plan on going into that store. But I did it so I could avoid that lady and having to sit there and face up to the fact that I'd failed. Y'all see what I'm saying? And you felt the same way over certain things. If there's somebody, say, for instance, if you were in the body right here, if there's somebody that you feel has something against you, if you think that a person is not receiving what you're saying and is not loving you, if you think that they've got hatred and bad feelings for you, you don't want to be around them. You feel like withdrawing. You go over to see the people that you feel like are receiving you and loving you and, and are glad that you came to see them. If somebody's rude and acts like, well, how come you came to see me? You don't go to see that person too many times unless you're operating in the love of God. Amen. That's natural. Well, it's the same thing. 
If we allow the feeling to come that God is holding something against us and that he is so displeased with our sin and that even though he may not be damning us to hell, maybe we still got our salvation and it's secure, but if we allow Satan to discredit God and tell us that God is holding back on us and not blessing us and not fellowshipping with us and not answering your prayer because of your sin, then you get that same attitude. You get the feeling like, man, I've fallen short. And that's the reason that you start drawing away. That's the reason you start losing that closeness. Everything is so great, and pretty soon it doesn't seem to be so great. And you begin to experience problems, and people wonder what the difference is. The difference is that when you first came to the Lord, you believed what people said, that if you would just come to Him, He'll wipe away all sin. You'll be in perfect union. Nothing separating between you and God. And boy, now that will cause joy, and that will get you excited. But after you go a little while and after you experience a few problems or you do something wrong, those same Christian people start putting you back under bondage. Boy, God's mad at you and you best get that sin out of your life or God's going to put you on the shelf. God's not going to answer your prayer. God's not going to do this. And we put ourselves right back under the same old type of bondage. Can you all see that? And as a result, people get discouraged. People begin to fall off. They lose the zeal. Why? They don't enjoy being around God because they feel like God's got something against them. I'm here to tell you that sure, God hates sin, but He's done everything He can or will do about sin in the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you die and go to heaven, there's not going to be a new atonement for you. There's not going to be anything added to the atonement. Everything has already been done that can be done in the flesh and in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And it's not going to be judged anymore. And we need to free ourselves from a feeling of condemnation, unworthiness, separation, God holding something against us. And we need to continually minister to ourselves the ministry of righteousness, like it says Second 2 Corinthians 3, nine. He contrasted the ministration of condemnation with the ministration of righteousness. We're under righteousness. Righteousness means right standing with God. But today, regardless of what any of y'all think about me, you may not like something in my physical person. Well, God may not like something in my physical person either. But he doesn't judge me according to my physical person. He looks on my spirit. And today God is pleased with me. And I can sit here and say, regardless of whether I'm doing everything perfect or not, that I please God. My spiritual man is pleasing to God because it is the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is washed in his blood. And I am in right standing with God. Amen? And boy, that's victory. You're going to blow it. Every last person in here is going to make mistakes. And if you're looking to yourself and if you're trusting yourself to live a perfect holy life to be accepted and say, surely God's going to answer this prayer because I've been fasting and praying. No, that's wrong. Did you know you can fast and pray and seek God and read the Word and put yourself in more bondage if you do it as a work of the law? If you do it to say, well, surely God's going to hear me because I fasted all week long. God's got to hear this prayer. Well, no, you didn't go in the name of Jesus. You went in the name of yourself and in the name of your fast. That doesn't work. You've got to go in the name of Jesus. Fasting is important, but it's just important so that you can withdraw your foot from the devil. Your attitude ought to be, Father, I know that I'm receiving the answer to this prayer. I know that you always hear me, but I know I have spent all week fasting and praying, putting my mind upon you, and Satan is not having dominion over me. I've rid myself of my... He's, I've been cleansed from it. I've stayed my mind upon you. Romans 8, 6 says that if we are spiritually minded, we'll have life and peace. And I've done it, and I believe that you have blessed me. I believe Isaiah 58 promises that the result of a fast will be that I break the heavy burdens, let the oppressed go free. I break every yoke. Man, I've got my answer. Now, if you go at it that way, a fast is important. But if you go at it, Lord, I've fasted, and you've got to hear me now. You've just blown it. you put yourself under more bondage. You're not trusting the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're trusting what you can do. Amen? Can you all see that? And that is one of the big hindrances. I don't know of anybody that I've ever dealt with that wasn't brought up under that kind of thinking. And it's because that's the way that you're supposed to think before you get saved. Sure, there is a debt to be settled before you get saved. But once we get saved, we've got to renew our mind that the debt has been paid. Amen? In full. Past, present, and future sins have been atoned for. Amen? Praise Jesus. Let's look at these last scriptures over in Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 10 is talking about the new covenant, and it says, By the which will, or by the new covenant, 
we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I talked about that the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ sanctified us once for all. Y'all see that? That means that you did not get sanctified up to the point of conversion. And then when you sin, you get unsanctified. And then you confess it and you get sanctified. And you get unsanctified and you get sanctified. No, you were sanctified once and for all. The word sanctified, like there's lots of doctrines. People have come out with all kinds of doctrines about sanctification that it means you read a... Like, for instance, the Nazarenes believe that it's a state of sinless perfection where you don't sin anymore. Stuff like that. The Bible, that's not so. Sanctification is just a part of our redemption. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Jesus Christ is our sanctification. Jesus Christ separated me when I accepted him by faith, and I'm sanctified through faith. Again, not my physical person. My physical person is still in the process of being saved, and it may get defiled. I may need to renew myself. But my spiritual man is sanctified, and it is holy. Amen. Again, Ephesians 4.24, that put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. My spiritual man is sanctified and holy, and it is not going to be contaminated by sin or by shortcomings or by mistakes. It was sanctified through one offering forever. If it can be defiled every time we make a sin, have a sin or make a mistake, then that means that it's got to have a second atonement made for it. And Hebrews chapter 6 says that cannot happen. If a person is to fall away, it is impossible to renew them again under a repentance scene. They crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. You cannot get sin atoned for the second time. If it wasn't atoned for the first time, it just didn't atone for it. Amen? Y'all see that? Then he goes on down in verse 14. And he says, By one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Verse 10 says that we've been sanctified through that one offering. Verse 14 says that we've also, those of us that were sanctified, we've been perfected. Amen? Right here in my spirit. I'm perfected. Forever. Sin is still deadly, but sin is deadly because I yield myself as a servant to the devil and Satan will begin to steal my life from me. But God is not judging that sin. He's already judged it in Christ Jesus. Amen? Somebody might say, according to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, well, if that's so, why do we confess our sin? It's, uh, let me give you this example, for instance. I gave this last night that Jamie came to me one time and she said, Andy, I want you to forgive me for the attitude I've had against you all afternoon or evening. I said, well, nothing to forgive. I didn't know you had a bad attitude. And she says, no, I've had a bad attitude. She says, I've been thinking this and thinking that. And I said, well, okay. And she says, will you forgive me? I said, well, there's nothing to forgive. Said you didn't do nothing. Said I didn't know you did anything. And what she, I don't even remember what it was, but I didn't think that it had been a bad attitude. Anyway, she just kept pounding at me, Are you going to forgive me? Finally, I said, I forgive you. Amen. (laughs) She needed forgiveness even though I had nothing to forgive. I'd already forgiven her. Y'all see that? God has forgiven us of sins and it's got to be through the one offering of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we commit sin, we defile our conscience. And you cannot operate in sin and receive the victory and the blessings of God. Not because God's holding back, but because your whole system doesn't operate that way. Your whole system will feel condemnation and separation from God. And you've got to start withdrawing yourself from it and it's important that you go to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Why? So that you can rid yourself of that condemnation. And it also says, He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, now our spirit's not unrighteousness. Ephesians 4.24 says our new man is created in righteousness and true holiness. When he talks about that he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness, he's talking about here in the physical body. If we've committed sin, if we've defiled this body, the moment you turn from it and confess it to God, God cleanses this. And boy, that's important. I'm not advocating sin. If you're going to live in sin, you can't live a victorious Christian life. I'm just trying to make you understand that it's the devil that's putting you in bondage, not God. Amen? And when you turn from it, God cleanses you from all unrighteousness. If he cleanses you from all unrighteousness, what does that lead? Righteousness. Amen? That means that all you've got is right standing with God. You can go to God boldly and receive whatever you want, not because of your goodness, but because of Christ's goodness. The result of what I'm sharing today is that if you would receive what we're saying, 
You can come to God, and I don't care what it is that you desire of the Father. If it's a healing for somebody, if you were praying for somebody, anything, you could come boldly and say, I believe that I am getting this answer to prayer, that God is doing it for me just exactly as if I'm the Lord Jesus Christ praying. And some people are thinking, well, now, boy, now, you really blaspheme in there. What makes you think? Well, see, I'm praying in the name of Jesus. That's what the name of Jesus means. When I say in the name of Jesus, I'm saying through His atonement, through His sacrifice, in the name of Jesus, in the person of Jesus, because of Jesus, I ask and believe that. That's not just a phrase to tack on the end of our prayers. That's something to believe. We're supposed to be operating in the name of Jesus. There's a, let's look at this scripture in Acts chapter 3. That wasn't the last scripture in Hebrews. In Acts chapter 3, this is right where Peter and John healed the man at the gate of the temple. And all of the people came running together in verse 11. It says, And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, and all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye man of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? Y'all see that? Peter's telling you how he performed this mighty miracle. He said, what makes you think it's our own power or our own holiness? Whoops. That just busted somebody's bubble, didn't it? I remember these holiness people that I've been around and that's all they preach is. Holiness! This one guy, man, got up and screamed and hollered that if you don't live holiness, no man can see God. And that's true. But whose holiness are you trusting? Yours or Jesus' holiness? Amen. I'm holy in my spirit because of Jesus, and I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get anything from God because of my physical works. Amen. I might get something stolen from me because of my physical works from the devil. Y'all see the point? But it's not. I'm not gonna get answers from God because I'm living holy. I've got to trust in Jesus' holiness. Because I don't care if I'm the best person that ever lived, I'm still going to fall short. And who wants to be the best person that was ever turned away from heaven? (laughs) I don't care if you're the best person that ever lived. Unless you're perfect, unless you're sinless, unless you're 100%, you're going to be turned away from heaven unless you trust in Jesus who was perfect. God demands a perfect sacrifice, a perfect standard. You're going to trust in your own merit to receive your answers to prayer. You're going to have to live perfect. And if you don't live perfect, you can't receive anything from God unless you say in the name of Jesus. Unless you start believing in the name of Jesus, which is what we're talking about. Amen. If that's true, if our own merits and our own holiness can't gain us these things from God, well, then our own merits and our own holiness, our unholiness, can't keep us from receiving as far as God's concern. Again, it, it gives Satan an opportunity to come into our life and hinder. But it does not affect God. Y'all see that? You can pray in the name of Jesus. If you want to know why some people that are supposedly living in sin can still see miracles happen and people get saved and delivered and see great miracles come through crusades where people aren't living a holy life themselves. The answer to it is that they have a gift from God, they exercise faith, and in their spirit they're righteous and holy, even if in their body they're presenting a sorry testimony, and God is going to respond to that man's faith. And you can reach a place, I've done it myself, where I've known that, say for instance, Jamie and I have been in strife, or something hasn't been the way that it should. And my immediate reaction is to say, man, I can't do nothing for nobody. God won't hear my prayer. Well, I learned a long time ago that I'm not supposed to have strife. I'll go get it straight if I've got an opportunity. But if I'm separated from Jamie and if we had strife between us and somebody came for prayer, I would not sit there and say, I can't help you. God's not going to bless me because I got strife and I hadn't got it straight yet. I'd sit there and I'd cast it behind me and I'd say, Father, I saw, I've turned from that thing and right now I know that you're answering my prayer not because of my righteousness or holiness but because of Jesus and I'll see that person healed, delivered, or ministered to or whatever. And then I'll go get it straight, see? Y'all see what I'm saying? This is what Peter said. He says, It's not our own powerness or holy, power or holiness that made this man to walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom he delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One, the holy one and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, 
and killed the prince of life whom God has raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, the name of Jesus, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And so Peter right there told you how he saw one of the greatest miracles in the Bible happen and you can do the same thing if you would operate under the same principles. If you would quit trusting in your own holiness, if you would quit allowing Satan to condemn you and separate you from the blessings and powers of God because you are not yet perfect, and if you would begin to trust the name of Jesus and put faith in his name, then it works. Amen? Praise Jesus. I'll overemphasize that because I wanted to make my point. Amen? But now I want to balance it out and say that even though God is not condemning sin, the Bible says you cannot serve two masters at one time. You cannot serve God and mammon. So don't be deceived. Don't go out of here thinking, well, that means, praise God, I can go live in sin and get whatever I want. All I've got to do is keep operating in faith. Amen? Well, the Bible says that whatsoever is not a faith is sin. If you're operating in sin, you aren't operating in faith. You're hindering your own self. If you're operating in sin, you will not live a victorious life. But not because God has withdrawn from you. It's because you can't serve two masters. You're turning your own back upon God. Even though God still loves you and wants to bless you, you've hindered yourself. Amen? That's true. An example of this, if I was to chasten my son and if he was to think I was mad at him, which is what we think, God gets mad at us, right? If, if Joshua thought that I was mad at him and say he needed help doing something, but if he knew that I was mad at him and I was going to blow up if he came back around and said anything or I wouldn't give it to him because he had blown it that day, if he thought that I imputed sin unto him and held it against him for a certain while till I cooled off, He'd sit in his room, see, and some things that he might need me to help him on, he'd try and do it by himself or struggle through it on his own because he wouldn't feel accepted. He wouldn't want to be jumped on again. And that's exactly the attitude that Satan has pushed across upon most Christians and made us feel that way. We feel like there's got to be a certain cooling off period between us and the Lord. If you blow it during the day and if you come... Most of y'all don't minister the Word like preaching or anything, but if you ever preach, boy, this is where it really becomes evident to you. Because when you stand up to preach, boy, when I first started every time, I mean, the devil would bring up a sin I committed three weeks before. No, Bobby's looking like he, he's been through the same thing. Has that ever happened to you? He'll bring up something you committed three weeks before, and I'll get to thinking, man, you sorry thing. How could God ever use you? And I'd have to start fighting against him and standing against that condemnation, which is what it is. You've got to reach the point where you aren't standing in your own righteousness because none of us is attained. And if you administer the law to yourself, every person in here is going to fall short. You've got to be established in the mercy and the love of God and know that it's the grace and mercy of God that's obtaining things for us from God. And then hate evil and quit doing it so that Satan won't steal any of that from you that you won't ever lose sight of it. Amen? And I promise you, it'll work. It'll set you free. And one of the reasons I share this today, this is, it's not technical, it's not hard to understand, but it's so contrary to what most of us have been taught that it's not maybe as enjoyable sometimes as some of the other things. But it's a basis. If a person cannot get established in what we've talked about today, I don't care how good things are going, all Satan's got to do is jog your memory. Make you bring back to remembrance sins that God's already got out of the way and you'll stop yourself. Again, the example of Peter walking on the water. It's, it's a perfect example because he was already walking on the water. God had already given him the power to overcome. It wasn't according to his own power or holiness that he was able to walk on the water. As long as he looked at Jesus and considered Jesus and considered that God told him to come, everything was fine. But when he looked at the wind and the waves boisterous, then he began to sink. God picked him up. The Lord Jesus picked him up and said, Peter, wherefore did you doubt? And Peter did not doubt that you could walk on water. He knew better. He had already done it. He did not doubt that God could do it. He could look at Jesus. Jesus picked him up. 
And I'm, I'm convinced that he didn't drag him through the water or put him on his shoulders. I believe Peter walked back with Jesus on the water again. Amen. So he wasn't doubting that Jesus could do it. The thing when Jesus said, why did you doubt? The thing Peter doubted was himself, his own ability. I'm not able to do this. He saw the wind and the waves boisterous. He related to the fact that he's just a natural man and immediately all of his lacks and uh, inadequacies and limitations came right before him and he thought, man, what am I doing out on this water? And he began to sink, see? It's because he doubted himself. And I don't care who you are, that's the way you'll be until you get this established in your heart. Things may be going good with you, but Satan is going to bring something up somehow or another, minister condemnation. And if you aren't established in the fact that there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit, if you don't get established in that, you'll begin to sink every time. And that is not God's perfect will. God wants you to start walking on the water and keep going. Amen. And that's one of the blessings in the Christian life is when you don't have to go through a mountaintop, then a mountain, mountaintop, valley. What we've talked about today is the reason that people have mountaintops and valleys. They go through making all of these mistakes and they hit rock bottom. Finally, they get so desperate that they just, they really get pitiful. I mean pitiful. And cry out to God, Oh God, I know I'm so unworthy and sorry. And they go down in front of a church or something and they repent and they get it all out. And they go through such an emotional deal that they think, surely God heard that. Surely God cleansed me. Surely I'm free. Bam, right up on the mountaintop because they believe that they're in right standing with God. And they go all right until all of those things that they said they'd never do again, they start doing them. And they start right back down the same old mess. And then they reach rock bottom and go through it again. Man, you can get, you can get out of that rut. If you'll just go to believe in your righteousness of God all the time, when you make a mistake, you just stay right up here on the mountain, amen? And confess it from the mountain. Don't go down to the valley to confess it. Just stay up on the mountain and say, Thank you, Jesus, I'm sorry I did that. I'm turning from it. And I know that it hadn't hampered our relationship, that I'm accepted in the Beloved, according to Ephesians 1, 6. Amen. And man, you can just stay on the mountaintop and throw all your sins off the mountaintop, amen? Let all those people in the valley have it. Well, that's a lot better. Hallelujah. That's the way God intends for it to be. Praise Jesus. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net And you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.